Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast of what a Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of Napoli's loss to Lazio on Sunday. In part two, we'll cover the latest news and we'll recap how our competition did in Serie A this past weekend. And in part three, we'll preview Napoli's match on Wednesday against Torino. So let's start with Napoli's match against Lazio. Here's how it went. Very much hope the best has been saved till last. David Prutton. Couldn't agree more, Adam. It's a really cracking game to finish off what has been a busy weekend as ever in Serie A as we look. Well, Marusic to Immobile! Vintage Shiro Immobile! It's what he does so well. A natural born goal scorer. And he gives Lazio the lead inside the first nine minutes here. There is the half time whistle, so it is Lazio who will go in at half time. A goal to the good. Shiro Immobile with his fifth goal in as many games against Napoli. It's Lazio who get us back underway at the Olympico, the side with something to protect here. Competitions this season. The problem's been really they've just drawn too many. Seven games they've drawn, but they could threaten here with Immobile. And Luis Alberto places it! And how? What a lovely goal from Luis Alberto. Picked his spot perfectly. I don't think it's making an excuse to say that they have missed three forward players that any team in world football would have missed this evening in course, Mertens in senior and Ossiman and now we see Lozano having to be carried off as well and it's Lazio with a bit of a statement victory here this evening 
a goal in either half the first score by Chino Immobile inside the first 10 minutes his fifth goal in as many games against Napoli the second a really well placed shot by Luis Alberto and it finishes here Lazio 2 Napoli 0 as you heard we lost 2-0 on goals by Chiro Immobile and Luis Alberto this was a pretty awful performance on Monday during the press conference about the new team calendar Andrea Petania called it our worst performance this season this was another performance where we were dreadful in the opening 15 minutes and only after we conceded did we start to play our game but even that positive play faded pretty quickly. We were very careless on the ball, and simply put, we got outcoached and outplayed. On top of that, two more of our top performers in Kaladu Kulibali and Chuki Lozano joined Dries Mertens and Victor Osiman on the sidelines. We'll talk about all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match. But first, let's go over the starting lineups. Lazio had only one change compared to our predicted 11. Simone Inzaghi lined up in the 3-5-2 with Pepe Reina in goal. Francesco Acerbi was a late scratch, so Wesley Hoot played in the middle of the three centre-backs, with Stefan Radu to his left and Luis Felipe to his right. Adam Marusic started at left wing-back and Manuel Lazzari started at right wing-back. Luis Alberto started in the centre of the midfield with Sergei Milinkovic-Savic on his right and Gonzalo Escalante on his left, and Chiro Immobile started up top alongside Felipe Caicedo. That was the one change we had Yaukin Correa starting with him. Napoli had only one change to our predicted 11 as well. Gattuso lined up in the 4-3-3, at least on paper. David Ospina got another starting goal over Alex Meret. Kalidou Koulibaly and Nikola Maksimovic started at centre-back. Mario Rui started at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back. Timoe Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz played in the double pivot. Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 spot. With Lorenzo Insigne suspended, Chucky Lozano started on the left wing and Matteo Politano started on the right wing. Finally, with Victor Osman and Dries Mertens injured, Andrea Patania started at striker. Alright, so let's get to our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match was that we needed to keep the ball away from Chiro Immobile. In our preview, we talked about how Immobile had scored in each of our last four Serie A matches. We definitely failed in this regard. Immobile scored the first goal and he assisted the second. On the first goal, there were a few players at fault. First, Matteo Politano gave Adam Marusic way too much space on the left wing. I initially thought it was Giovanni Di Lorenzo who was at fault there. It certainly seemed to me like Politano was expecting Di Lorenzo to be there. But when I watched this play again, you could see that Di Lorenzo was marking Luis Alberto. If he left Alberto to close the wing, then Alberto would have been open at the top of the box. Then you had Maksimovic and Koulibaly both marking Immobile in the box and somehow Immobile won the header. It looked to me that both defenders were watching the ball and didn't realize that Immobile dropped back just enough to create a separation between himself and the two defenders. His header reminded me a lot of the first goal Ibrahimovic scored in our game against Milan. It was another header from pretty far out, not quite as far out as Ibrahimovic's was, but still a good distance. I was really impressed at the height that Immobile got on his leap for a player his size, and then the header was perfectly directed to the top corner. Just like Alex Meret had no chance on Ibra's header, David Ospina had no chance on this one. Immobile also got the assist on Lazio's second goal. He played a perfect layoff to Luis Alberto, and that actually is a good segue to our second key to the match, which was that we needed to avoid making costly mistakes, and we failed in this regard as well. On the second goal, Mario Rui played a wayward pass intended for Fabian, but it went straight to Escalante. 
Mario Rui had just an awful day. He played himself off the pitch and had Napoli fans praying for a new left back in January. Escalante passed to Immobile who teed up Alberto. Just like Immobile on the first goal, you have to give Alberto credit for the shot. He placed his curling shot just inside the post. Once again, Ospina had no chance. And once again, there appeared to be poor communication at the back. Koulibaly was out of the play, having just played the pass to Mario Rui on the left side. Maksimovic was marking Immobile, but for some reason Di Lorenzo was already halfway up the pitch. I think he went way too early. He probably saw that there was no one around, so he went. But with the ball on the other side of the pitch, there was no need to go so early. Meanwhile, Luis Alberto made the late run, and though Fabian was tracking him, it seemed Fabian was expecting Di Lorenzo to be there, just like Politano was expecting Di Lorenzo to be there on the first goal. When he wasn't there, Alberto had the time and space to take the shot. What was unfortunate for us was that Lazio didn't really have too many chances in this match. Other than the second goal, most of their chances were in the first 15 minutes. We didn't concede any penalties or pick up any red cards, but because this mistake cost us a goal, I have to call this one a failure. To be honest, I was shocked Koulibaly was not shown a second yellow for his foul on Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. I suspect that was because Orzato knew that the first yellow Koulibaly was shown was a bit harsh and perhaps was given because of Caicedo's dramatic overreaction to the foul. Immediately after that play, Marusic stepped on Di Lorenzo's foot and that wasn't called, which actually led to a shooting attempt for Caicedo. I don't feel too bad about Koulibaly not being sent off though. I think Chiro Immobile should have been shown a straight red for putting his studs into Bakayoko's shin and stomping on his foot. I know there were some reports saying that Orzato got that right because Immobile clearly had intent of getting the ball, but to me, in those situations, intent does not matter. At the end of the day though, we can't blame Orzato for this loss. We didn't deserve a positive result from this performance. Finally, our third key to the match was that we had to be smart with a short bench. I'm going to call this one a push. I like that we lined up in the 4-3-3, which would allow us to conserve our energy, though I don't like how we used it. I'll elaborate more on that in just a moment. The main reason I'm calling this a push though is because we had to replace Koulibaly and Lozano after picking up injuries in the match. Koulibaly picked up a grade 1 strain of the rectus femoris in his left leg which is one of the four quadriceps muscles. He tried to play through it. Koulibaly made a beautiful tackle on Lazzari after sprinting back from about midfield to catch the very pacey winger. That was just before that questionable tackle that nearly had him sent off. This is a relatively minor injury that should only take about one to two weeks to recover from, but we know that our health manager Canonico is pretty conservative, so don't be surprised if Koulibaly misses three matches. Chuki Lozano picked up a strong blunt trauma to the perineal tendons in his left leg, which are the tendons that connect the foot to the leg. Judging by the official report, there does not appear to be a tear, but this is a type of injury that is difficult to forecast in terms of recovery time. It depends on the severity of the injury, and as we've seen with Osman, every player recovers differently. There are no official statements on his return, but I'm expecting it to be two to four weeks. We have a quote-unquote easy schedule coming up. Our next five matches are against Torino, Cagliari, Spezia, Udinese, and Fiorentina. So there's no need to rush any of these guys back. So those were our three keys to the match. Next, I want to talk about the strategies employed by these two clubs. I love Gattuso, but I think he got outcoached by Simone and Zaghi, it has to be said. I mentioned that I liked that we lined up in the 4-3-3, but I didn't like how we used it. I was really hoping to see two approaches here. 
One was to take advantage of our winger's pace and to play the cross in the air to Patania to take advantage of his size. I don't think we used the wings nearly enough and when we did, the delivery of our crosses was just terrible. We saw Patania get frustrated with Zielinski for playing his crosses in too low. Zielinski is probably used to that with Mertens playing as the striker but you definitely have to play the ball to Patania's head. The other strategy I wanted to see was to attack in the middle of the field with our wingers playing off of Patania. That would again exploit our wingers pace and Patania's strength and hold up play. To do that we'd have to play the ball to Patania's feet but that didn't happen all that much because for large stretches of the match we seemingly had no midfield. Now a lot of that has to do with how Inzaghi set up his side. This match reminded me of the Inter match at least in terms of how our opponents played. In the first 15 minutes Lazio pressed high and tight and forced us to make wayward passes. We struggled to sustain possession and constantly played the ball straight back to Lazio. Then with the lead, Lazio played very deep and defended in numbers with a focus on the middle of the pitch. We saw in the second half Zielinski had a shot blocked at the top of the box where four Lazio players converged on the ball. That's why it seemed like we had no midfield. We were forced to the outside but with Lazio's 3-5-2 we were outnumbered on the wings as well. So all we could do was go long and hope our forwards beat Lazio's defenders 1v1. The problem with that was the squad we were forced to field are not strong at beating players 1v1. Lozano is great at running onto the ball but he's not a great dribbler. Patania actually has a great touch for a big man. We saw that on the one good spell of play that we had in the first half, which led to a few chances, but with his size, you can only play long balls for him to run onto so much before he runs out of steam. And Politano, who's probably the best dribbler of the three, just had an off day at the most inopportune time, and he was replaced by Alif Almas early in the second half. You also have to give credit to Lazio's back three. I was hoping Acerbi would play knowing that he wouldn't be 100% fit, but like I said, he was a late scratch. Radu, Hote, and Luis Felipe did an excellent job of shutting down our attack. With a light bench, there wasn't much we could do to change our approach. This was not the game we needed to fall behind. I wanted to see Diego Deme replace Bakayoko, but as Gattuso's assistant Luigi Riccio explained after the match, Deme needed to rest as he played the previous two matches, and when he plays, he uses a lot of energy. Riccio also explained in that interview that the players did not do what Gattuso asked them to do, so this loss is as much on the players as it is on the coach. I know a lot of Napoli fans were really disappointed about this result, but as Adam Summerton pointed out in the broadcast, this is the same Lazio team that beat Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, so despite their form in Serie A, they have the quality to take points from any top club. The last thing I want to talk about is Fabian Ruiz. I saw a lot of people hating on his performance. Even the pagella or the report cards or ratings that you see in the Italian papers came in pretty low for Fabian at around a 5. I thought this was a bit harsh. First of all, other than the miscommunication on the second goal, which I think was more on Di Lorenzo, I thought Fabian was very good in the defensive phase. He made a couple of important plays in the first half. Early in the match, he let a Bakayoko pass run onto no one, but quickly recovered and intercepted the pass from Radu. In the 22nd minute, he chased Immobile the length of the field and stole the ball just before Immobile was going to get a shot off. And then a few minutes later, he made an important tackle on Luis Alberto to stop what could have been a dangerous counterattack. I thought he was pretty good in the attacking phase as well. He had our best shot of the match which Pepe Reina did well to stop. He probably got a bit too much of the goal but it still was a decent effort. And I know a lot of people have been on Fabian for not creating enough but I don't know how much of that was on him this match. He was the one coming back deep to retrieve the ball only to look up to see very few passing options. There was little movement in the midfield which is why we constantly played the ball backwards. 
Finally, this was a poor performance all around, so I think it's unfair to single out any individual other than Koulibaly and perhaps Lozano and Petania. I don't think any player played particularly well. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the news and we'll check in on how our competition did midweek. Napoli in farmacia. Io cammino ogni notte. Io cammino e sbarianno. Io non tengo mai suono, non chiudo mai il e non bevo caffè. Pate cocche, sienta a me. Pate cocche, sienta a me. Una persiana che sbatte. Un lampione che luce. E un briaca che dice bussanna una porta marata con te. Farmacista, la vecchia cammomilla ha dato il posto. Alle palline glicero, fosfato e bromo televisionato, grammi 003. Piglia oh. della pastiglia, sienta a me. All right, next we'll cover some news and we'll recap how our competitors did on match day 13. The big story on Tuesday was the Coney College of Guarantee fully accepted Napoli's appeal of the 3-0 loss on the table to Juventus and one-point deduction in the table. I was genuinely shocked by this decision. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know I had little hope we'd get anything out of this appeal, and at most, I thought we'd get back the one-point deduction. This ruling annuls the decision of the Serie A sports judge and the FIGC Sports Court of Appeals, While I was surprised, some were actually expecting this decision, as only days before FIGC decided to remove itself from the process and to give up on defending the decisions previously taken by the sports justice. What this means is Napoli get the single point deduction back, Juve lose the three points they were awarded on the table, and the match is to be rescheduled. That means heading into the 14th round, Napoli move up to third place, tied with Juventus and Roma on 24 points, but ahead on goal differential. I'm sure we'll learn more in the coming days, but we've already seen the reactions of a few different people. The governor of Campania, Vincenzo De Luca, who a lot of people think conspired with De Laurentiis to influence the ASLs, had this to say, The Coney College of Guarantee accepted Napoli's appeal against the decisions taken in recent weeks to the detriment of the club and the team. Accepting the appeal restores justice and correctness. The reasons for the protection of health expressed by the decisions of the ASL of Napoli are recognized as valid and inalienable, and above all, the values of sporting loyalty are restored, sensationally violated by previous sentences. We cannot fail to express full and great satisfaction and appreciation for Coney's decision. The mayor of Napoli, Luigi De Magistris, expressed his thoughts via Twitter. He said Napoli's appeal against the unjust victory in favor of Juve has been accepted. Now we play football and go to win on the pitch. Justice is done. Forza Napoli sempre. De Laurentiis took to Twitter himself. He said we are happy. We live in a country where those who respect the laws cannot be convicted. And Napoli always follow the rules. No doubt that was a jab at Andrea Agnelli, who now famously said that Juventus always follow the rules on the weekend that this all occurred. 
Juventus responded as you would expect. Fabio Paratici told Sky Sport, The first comment on the decision is that we have always been strangers and indifferent to the story. We will bring the ball when they tell us. We will play the game. We were also there on October 4th. Juve does not respond to President De Laurentiis, who said an obvious fact. When asked about when the match will be played, he said, We learned about it coming to the stadium. We are not in contact with the league yet. We will go and play at the scheduled time and date. That is the final question that remains when this match will be played. One of the dates that has been proposed is January 13th, but that is the day that Juve play Genoa and Napoli play Empoli in the Coppa Italia. I know a lot of fans are looking forward to the Supercoppa, but to me it makes more sense to reschedule that match, which is currently scheduled for January 20th. The Supercoppa is a one-off match that can be played anytime. We've seen that in Spain they've postponed the Copa del Rey final until it can be played in front of fans, but we'll have to see when that date is chosen. The last thing I'll say about this is I saw a lot of people online suggesting that this sets a bad precedent. I tried to set the record straight on Twitter, but I'll repeat myself here. Most of the people I saw making this claim were assuming that Napoli did not show up to the match because we had a few positive cases and because De Laurentiis didn't want to play without those players. But the whole debate was about whether the ASL actually stopped the club from traveling. Therefore, the precedent that was set here was not that if you have positive cases, you will have matches postponed. Rather, it's if the local health authorities stop you from traveling, then your match will be postponed. And that is actually consistent with the COVID protocols currently in place. Okay, moving on, the other story I wanted to quickly cover before we get to match day 13 was Napoli going into Ritiro. The loss to Lazio was the first time that Napoli suffered back-to-back defeats since January. After the match, the club announced that the players and staff would go into retreat, starting from the Monday training session and ending with the match against Torino. At the presentation of the new team calendar, Lorenzo Insigne said that the retreat was not punishment, but rather a way for the team to stay focused and that they all decided to go on retreat together. Insigne also commented on missing the Lazio match. He said he was wrong for the episode in Milan. He left his team with 10 men and a captain should not do that. He added that he was sorry and as a result the coach and his men were limited in attack. And he also said that watching the game from home he felt even more sick perhaps than his teammates did. Alright so next let's check in on the top of the table. This round was played before the Coney ruling so heading into the round we were sitting in 5th place tied with Sassuolo on 23 points. That put us 5 points back of Milan, 4 points back of Inter and 1 point back of Juve and Roma. It also put us 5 points clear of Atalanta and Lazio and 6 points clear of Verona. Milan beat Sassuolo 2-1 on goals from Rafael Leao and Alexis Salamakers. That goal from Leao came in under 7 seconds, which is the quickest goal ever scored in Serie A. It actually only took him 6.2 seconds. Once again, you have to tip your hat to Stefano Pioli. He must have seen something in his preparation for the match. Milan sprinted forward from the opening kickoff. I doubt Pioli was expecting to score, but obviously it worked out. Milan thought they doubled their lead in the ninth minute, but the goal was ruled off for a very marginal offside. Brahim Diaz was a fraction offside on the long ball that started the buildup, and I really can't stand these marginal decisions. Fortunately, that ultimately did not affect the outcome of the match. Just as Sassuolo were beginning to get forward and apply pressure, Milan struck on the counter. Brahim Diaz did really well to start the counter-attack. Sandro Tonali made a very clever play. He recognized that he was in an offside position, so he just let the ball run on past him. Teo Hernandez ran onto his own pass before eventually squaring to Salamakers in front of the empty goal. 
I've talked about how Salamaker stole the starting job from Samu Castillejo, and then Castillejo lately has been looking to steal it back. With all their injuries, that's been a great problem for Milan to have on the right wing. The healthy competition between those two has led to a lot of goals for Milan. Milan have scored at least two goals in every one of their league games this season. Domenico Berardi scored a late goal for Sassuolo to spoil Donnarumma's clean sheet. I'm not sure what Jens Petterhag was thinking in the wall. He moved out of the way of the shot. This match actually reminded me of Milan's matches against both Napoli and Sampdoria. In the Napoli game, after Milan went ahead, they sat back and protected the lead. Like Napoli, even though Sassuolo had most of the ball, they created very few chances. Meanwhile, Milan made the best of their chances on the counterattack. That's another thing Pioli deserves a lot of credit for. Milan are a very efficient team. When they sit back, they don't get many chances, but when they do get their chances, they take advantage of them. That's a brilliant strategy for a club that's competing in multiple competitions and for a club that has picked up quite a few injuries. This approach ensures that players are expending minimal energy in-game. The part that reminded me of the Sampdoria match was that Milan conceded the late goal, so Milan fans had to stress out for the final few minutes of the match but they hung on for the win to stay atop the table. Inter beat Spezia 2-1 on goals from Ashraf Hakimi and Romelu Lukaku. Roberto Piccoli scored the lone goal for Spezia. This was another match where Inter tried to put us to sleep in the first half. Ashley Young nearly scored a wonder goal early in the first half. He split between Alessandro Deola and Luca Vignali on the left wing before firing on target from a sharp angle, but even Providel got his fingertips on the shot. A few minutes later, Lautaro came close on a header from a Brozovic free kick, but other than that, neither side created much in the first half. But Inter have the quality to produce goals out of nothing. We saw that in the opening goal where Lukaku, Lautaro, and Hakimi combined to score a brilliant goal. First, Lukaku held up with a lovely chest to Lautaro. He played a perfectly weighted ball to Hakimi on the wing, and Hakimi showed off his touch blistering pace and finishing ability all in one play. The first touch was really impressive, and with that pace, Luca Mora was never going to catch him. As good as the goal was, I'm sure Provedel wishes he could have that one back. Inter doubled their lead in the 71st minute from the penalty spot. A VAR review confirmed that Mbala and Zola blocked Stefano Sensi's cross with his arms, so the penalty was given. Lukaku smashed his shot into the back of the goal. He didn't exactly pick his corner, but Provedel guessed the wrong way. It's great to see Stefano Sensi not just playing, but playing well again. This was his third straight appearance off the bench, and he played the entire second half. That's the most he's played since playing 65 minutes against Benevento on match day two. That goal proved to be an important one. Piccoli scored in the closing seconds of the match, but it was too little, too late. Juventus destroyed Parma 4-0, Dejan Kulusevski opened the scoring followed by a Ronaldo brace and then the fourth was scored by Alvaro Morata. It was only fitting that Kulusevski would score against the club he spent with last season where he really blew up. Kulusevski is another Atalanta product but he spent last season on loan at Parma. Cristiano Ronaldo reminded us that while he scores many goals from the penalty spot, he's capable of hurting opponents in a variety of different ways. He scored his first with a well-placed header on a lovely ball from Alvaro Morata. Then in the second half, he beat Luigi Seppe with a left-footed shot to the bottom corner at the far post. Morata scored the fourth with a long header from Bernardeschi's cross, so he continues to find the back of the goal for Juve. Finally, Gigi Buffon added another clean sheet to his laundry list of insane stats. He actually made some very good saves in this match. He made a couple of saves on Yuri Kuchka, one in each half, and he also made a nice save on Bruno Alves in the second half. The game of the week for me was Atalanta-Roma. This fixture is always entertaining, and this edition of it was no exception. Atalanta won 4-1, and then Dzeko scored for Roma, while Duvan Zapata, Robin Gosens, Luis Muriel, and Josip Ilicic scored for Atalanta. 
This was really a tale of two halves. Roma looked excellent in the first half and took less than three minutes to open the scoring. Henrik Mkhitaryan continues to play well. He made a great play on the wing to create space for a low cross. Atalanta's defending was really poor on this play. You simply cannot give Edin Dzeko that much space in front of the goal. Dzeko calmly controlled the ball before rolling it past Colini, whose momentum was carrying him the other way. The way the first half was going, it looked like Roma were going to steamroll Atalanta. Leonardo Spinazzola nearly doubled Roma's lead in the ninth minute. He had only Golini to beat at the left corner of the box, but his chip caught the outside of the post. Then in the second minute of stoppage time, Golini made an excellent save on Lorenzo Pellegrini's free kick to keep the deficit at 1. The second half was the closest I've seen to the Atalanta of last season. Atalanta started to look more threatening with Ruslan Malinovsky's effort in the 48th minute narrowly missing the goal, but as we know with Atalanta they concede opportunities as well as they create them. Golini made another excellent save on a long distance effort by Jordan Vertu. Only 5 minutes later Duvan Zapata completed a lovely play by Atalanta, turning and smashing his shot first time off the bar and in. That's only his third of the season, but he's still been very, very good. That goal might just be what he needed to open the floodgates. Atalanta then scored two goals in two minutes, and this game was pretty much over. Josip Ilicic had his best half since before he took some time off. He played a gorgeous ball to Robin Gosens, who made a great run before heading home. Ilicic scored a beautiful goal himself late in the match. I don't think it's a coincidence that he had a vintage performance and Atalanta got a vintage Atalanta result. In between those two goals, super sub Luis Muriel came off the bench and took all but one minute to score his fifth of the season. There is not a more prolific substitute in all of European football than Luis Muriel. So in the end, Atalanta won by a wide margin and they did it without Papu Gomez. For me, this was a pretty strong message to Papu Gomez and his camp. There's no denying that Papu is a world-class talent and this team is better with him than without him, but this performance against a very good Roma team proved that Atalanta can win without Papu. The question becomes, can they do it consistently without him? Meanwhile, Paulo Fonseca lost again to a big club and every time he does, Romanisti questioned whether he's the right man for the job. I think Romanisti need to be careful what they wish for though. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. When you look at this Roma side, I think Fonseca is getting the best out of them and a change in coach, even someone like Spalletti, could result in worse results. So that's how our competition did. Napoli played the final match of the round, so we knew heading into the match that Milan, Inter, and Juve had all won, so we needed to win to keep pace with them. We also knew that with Roma losing, we had an opportunity to move back into a Champions League position with a win. Unfortunately, we didn't win as we talked about in part 1. So at the time, we were 8 points back of Milan, 7 points back of Inter, and 4 points back of Juventus. With Roma and Sassuolo losing, we remained 1 point back of Roma and level with Sassuolo. Atalanta were only two points back of us, and if they won their game in hand, they would actually surpass both Sassuolo and Napoli. Lazio are right back in the mix with their win. At the time, they were only two points behind us, and Hellas Verona are still in the mix after drawing Fiorentina 1-1. If you haven't seen that match, don't waste your time. It was awful. Both sides scored from the penalty spot. I don't even think Verona should have gotten a penalty, and the rest of the match was pretty dull. So that will do for part two. In part three, we'll preview our match on Wednesday against Torino.
In the final part, we'll preview Napoli's match on Wednesday against Torino. Heading into this round, Torino were third from the bottom of the table. They were only one point clear of last place Crotone and tied with Genoa on seven points, but Torino had a slightly better goal differential. I have to admit, I'm very surprised to see Torino so far down the table with the players that they have. I also thought Marco Giampaolo would have more success with Torino than he did with Milan because it's a similar situation to the one he had success with at Sampdoria. For the longest time, I give Torino the benefit of the doubt. In their first 12 matches, Torino played Atalanta, Sassuolo, Lazio, Inter, Juventus, and Roma. I also thought Torino were a bit unfortunate having put themselves in a good position so often only to drop points. But the more I've seen this happen, the less I think that's due to misfortune and the more I think it's due to mismanagement. Torino have dropped 21 points this season in matches where they had the lead and either ended up drawing or losing. Many of those results were understandable. They included the matches against Atalanta, Sassuolo, Lazio, Inter and Juve, who are obviously good enough to come from behind. But the one that really gave me cause for concern was the draw against Bologna this past weekend. Torino took the lead in the 69th minute with a bit of a lucky goal that Angelo da Costa should have stopped. All they had to do was protect the lead for 20 minutes and they were not able to do that. What's worse is that I didn't see any adjustment to the way they were playing. They should have had 10 men behind the ball, but instead they kept on playing the same way. And it's not as if Torino were dominating this match. If they were, then I could understand carrying on, but they weren't. That's why I'm finally questioning Marco Giampaolo and I'm sure Urbano Cairo is too. For that reason, this match is by no means a given. Giampaolo knows that another loss here, especially if Torino have the lead, could well be the end of his tenure at Torino. Nothing would be worse than missing out on your Panatone only two days before Christmas. Alright, so let's get to the starting lineups. Giampaolo uses two different formations. He started the season in the 4-3-1-2, then he switched to the 3-5-2 for five matches. He lost four and drew the other one, so Giampaolo switched back to the 4-3-1-2 for the Bologna match. However, that may have been because Wilfried Single was suspended for that match, so I'm going to go back to the 3-5-2 here. Vanya Milinkovic-Savic, the younger brother of Lazio, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, has played the last two matches for Torino, and he's actually played pretty well. That also makes me wonder whether Salvatore Sirigu will finally leave Torino in January. Giampaolo has quite a few options at center back, but I think we'll see Nicolas Nkulu in the middle, with Bremer on the left and Ricardo Rodriguez on the right. Armando Izzo appeared to have picked up a muscle injury in the Bologna match. Marilyn Voivoda has been deputizing at left wing back for the injured Christian Ansaldi, and Wilfred Singo is the regular starter at right wing back. Suelio Miete should start in the center of the midfield with either Amr Gohak or Thomas Rincon on his left and Carolinetti on his right. Up top, you know Andrea Bellotti will get the start, but there's a bit of a question mark around who starts next to him. Federico Bonazzoli started against Bologna but had to be removed after about half an hour with what appeared to be a hamstring injury. He was replaced by ex-Napoli player Simone Verdi, who I think will start here, but Simone Zaza is another option as well. For Napoli, Gattuso will line up in the 4-2-3-1. We don't nearly have as many options as we normally do. I think we'll see Alex Meret get the start in this match with Ospina playing the last two. With Kalidou Koulibaly hurt, Nikola Maksimovic and Kostas Manolas will start at center back. After a dreadful performance against Lazio, I think Mario Rui will sit this one out and Fauzi Gulam will start in his place. And though I think he's exhausted, I still think Giovanni De Lorenzo starts again at right back. The hardest to predict for me is who starts in the double pivot, but I'm expecting a fresh Diego Demet to start with Teemoy Bakayoko. Fabian Ruiz will be an option off the bench if we need to add to the attack. Piotr Zielinski will play in the 10th spot. 
Lorenzo Insigne returns from suspension to play on the left wing, and Matteo Politano will start on the right wing over the injured Chucky Lozano. Finally, Andrea Petania will start at striker once again with Dries Mertens and Victor Osman still recovering from injury. The good news is Victor Osman has completed his rehab and will rejoin the team before Christmas. He most likely won't be available for this match, but it sounds like he'll be back for our first match after the break, which is on January 3rd against Cagliari. Okay, next let's talk about our three keys to the match. The first is we need to play to our level, not to our opponents. We cannot go into this game thinking it's a sure win because of Torino's position in the table. As I mentioned, Torino have squandered many leads, but obviously that means they know how to take the lead in the first place. We can't allow Torino to score first. Just because they've squandered leads to other teams does not mean that they will squander a lead to us. To ensure Torino don't score first, we need to have a much better start to the match than we have had of late. One of the commonalities in our three most recent losses, which were the matches against Milan, Inter and Lazio, is that we had really poor starts to the match and we only started to play well after we conceded a goal. In fact, we started poorly against Benevento and Crotone as well. In those two matches in particular, I can't help but wonder if we went into those matches thinking we had already won, which is the same concern I have for this match. The second key to the match is we need to stop Andrea Bellotti. Last match, one of our keys to the match was to keep the ball away from Chiro Immobile. We failed miserably at stopping Immobile, and that was with Koulibaly on the field for 55 minutes. Like Immobile, Balotti has scored most of Torino's goals. In fact, with 9 goals already, he scored nearly half of Torino's 20 goals. Like Immobile, Balotti plays in a dual striker role and relies on service from the midfield. He may not have Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, but Miete, Singo, and Linetti are all very good players. And finally, like Immobile, Balotti can score in a variety of ways. He's a poacher, and he can score with both feet and with his head. Maximovic and Manolas will have their hands full. If indeed Bakayoko and Demis start this match, they'll need to help out their center backs. One thing Belotti does differently than Immobile is he tracks back very deep to help defend. That's where a player like Demis will have to stop Belotti when he's carrying the ball through the midfield. For his size, Belotti is very strong and that's where Bakayoko will be useful. Finally, the third key to the match is we need to move the ball quickly. As we saw against Lazio, at least early in the match, when our opponents pressure us, we give the ball right back. Like Lazio and Inter, Torino play in a 3-5-2, so the midfield will be very crowded. We'll need to do a better job of moving without the ball and making quick passes when we do have the ball. It certainly helps that we'll have Lorenzo Insigne back for this match. We were really lacking in creativity against Lazio, and he's one of the most creative players on this team. We're still without some key players. In fact, we'll be missing more key players in this match than we were in the Lazio match, but that shouldn't keep us from winning this one. I can accept losing to a Lazio team that competed for the Scudetto last season and beat Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, but a draw or a loss against a struggling Torino side would be unacceptable. The head official for this match is Paolo Valeri. Valeri has officiated 22 Napoli matches since 2008. During that stretch, Napoli have a record of 14 wins, 4 draws, and 4 losses. His assistants are Alessio Tolfo and Valerio Vecchi. The fourth official is Antonio Giulia. And on the VAR is Maurizio Mariani, assisted by Federico Longo. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli win. I'll give Andrea Petagna a brace and Lorenzo Insigne the other. And for Torino, I'll give the goal to Bellotti. No team in all of Serie A has conceded more goals than Torino. Meanwhile, even though we have played one fewer match than most clubs, we are tied with Atalanta for fourth most goals in Serie A. In fact, heading into the Inter match, we had second most, so fourth is not so bad considering we didn't score in either of our last two matches. 
This is also going to be a highly motivated Napoli team. They've spent the last couple of days before the match in retreat, and then they got the extra boost with the decision against Juve being overturned. On Tuesday, the club trained at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona, and apparently a loud roar was heard after the training session was completed when the players found out about the Coney decision. Finally, the players will want to win for Gattuso. I've heard some rumblings that his eye condition may be worse than initially anticipated, and there's a distinct possibility that Gattuso is not on the sidelines for this match. As we saw against Roma, when this team is motivated to play, they can be next to unstoppable. That does not bode well for Marco Giampaolo. So that's our review of Napoli vs Torino. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll talk to you again later in the week to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Network.